Mars Hill University Theater Arts presents Letters to Joe, a radio play by Jamie Knox, with poems featured by Righteous Luster. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, wait down in Egypt's land. Tell saith the Lord God Moses said let my people go if not I'll smite your firstborn dead let my people go go down Moses wait Dearest Mr. Anderson, my name is Orlean Gray Simmons, and I am your great-great-granddaughter. Hello. I've been wanting to write to you for a while now, and today seemed like a good day to do it. I'm sitting under a hickory tree, and I can't help but wonder if you also sat down under this very tree. I wonder if you ate the hickory nut as food. Did you walk across the very path I did before I sat down today? <laughs> what a thought, huh? There are so many trees here on campus. Oak, pine, tulip, maples, ash, and hickory. My favorite is the cherry tree. Trees make me think of you. I like their strength. Did you hear those kids laughing a moment ago? Enjoying their day? Those are the white kids. Those are the kids who gather together to relax after class, to discuss the day's lectures, and to laugh at something silly that they saw earlier. Those are the kids that tell me I don't belong here. It is 1961 and I am the first black woman to attend Mars Hill University. Sometimes, I don't know if I can do it. Sometimes I feel as thin as this paper I'm holding. But then I think of you, and I am reminded that paper comes from trees. These Chautauquas shall be a mingling of good men for a common good. 
It is my hope that men of all races enter the 1930s feeling free to share equal space in this world. The 1930s? Who was this guy? A Baptist minister named Walter Johnson. He was also a teacher here when it was called Mars Hill College. We plan to have at Mars Hill College another interracial treat July 19 to 26. From Saturday until Friday, we expect to have in attendance then a small group of people. Cherokees, Croatans, Negroes, Caucasians. They will all be voluntarily assembled in the equality of a Christian fellowship. He held these gatherings he called Chautauquas regularly. He struggled with the teachings of Jesus Christ and the realities of Jim Crow. He wanted to unite men of all races and ethnicities. His focus was to sort of school the white man on religious teachings and how they applied to racism. For seven days, there will be no discrimination in race, nor color, nor class as to the roof under which we sleep, nor as to the table at which we eat. That's amazing. I can't believe this was going on a hundred years ago. Still didn't receive as much attention as the Founders Day celebration and the recreation of the old Black Joe story, though. In 1856, Marshall University, then French Broad Baptist Institute, had a debt to pay to a local contracting company for their first school building. A slave owner, Jesse Anderson, decided to levy his slave, Joe, as payment for his portion of the debt. Wait, what? Really? And apparently, the sheriff showed up with the contracting company and took Joe away in chains in front of his family. Really? That happened here? What was their plan? How does that even work? They were simply going to rip him away from his family and sell him to another slave owner. Wow. That's so messed up. It happened all the time. I can't even imagine. But the founders were able to raise the money. So what happened to Joe? He was able to get repurchased and go back to his master and family. That's unbelievable. What's unbelievable is that Joe was a brick maker by trade and built that very building. Really? No way. Later, his remains were moved from an unmarked grave and he was named one of the founders in a big ceremony. There's a monument to him on Joe Anderson Road. I've seen that road. Wow. Okay, so when did the ceremony happen? That's great. In the 1920s. I'm sure the idea behind it came from a good place, but the reality is it only perpetuated the white community's lost cause agenda. What's the lost cause? Those great and noble freedmen so loved and so trusted their slaves. Later proven when the masters went forth to war, abolition of slavery being an issue, they left these same slaves to care for their wives and children, knowing they would protect them with their very Wait, so when the slave owners went to fight for their right to own slaves, their slaves stayed home and took care of the other slave owners' families? Yes. Oh, wow. So they just celebrated slave ownership like slaves were just simply part of the family? Yes. It helped perpetuate their idea that both sides were heroic in the Civil War. That explains the monuments. And man... Do white people love their monuments? The idea of the lost cause 
helped give the people of Mars Hill a way to pat themselves on the back when it came to Joe Anderson while still adhering to Jim Crow. I mean, they referred to him as Old Black Joe like he was just some minstrel character and not a man under 30. He became almost fictional in a magical way he was portrayed. By doing this, they were able to remove the college's hand in this because he was a hero. So this not only negated his story, but the stories of so many others. And even as times began to change, and even as the university became integrated, white students still performed his story in blackface. Ooh, wow, that is so messed up. Friend, get this. His great-great-granddaughter saw a performance of this when she was five years old. Seeing him portrayed like that made me want to go to that college. I was very troubled he had built a school for white students to attend. It's a good thing I wasn't there because I would have gotten on that stage. Girl, who you telling? Who messed up? Even though by the 1980s, Joe Anderson was being played in school dramatizations by an African-American, less than 20 years before, blackface was still on campus. From dramas to beauty pageants, complete with Mammy Scarf and Burnt Cork. That's why we gotta be sensitive telling the story now. And even the 1980s version had a Joe Anderson chained up with 10 foil cuffs, as if it was a lighthearted event. Wow, that's, I mean, why haven't I learned any of this? I mean, if it was so much a part of our history here. You'd think we learned this at FYS, right? Right? I never learned it. I only learned it by walking up Joe Anderson Road and seeing the memorial. Wow. But why? How do you feel now when racial issues are brought up? Really uncomfortable. Well, that's probably why. The story stopped being told fairly recently. I think the university's still grappling with it. We realize now that we can't tell this story as a cute anecdote or pat ourselves on the back with it, but it makes people uncomfortable. I think it makes white people uncomfortable. Like, in class, some classes are more diverse, but some of us end up being like one of the only people of color in class. So when we talk about race issues, it, it ends up being kind of brushed over and I don't think everyone understands the challenges that goes with that for a black or brown person. So it just stopped getting told? Just got swept under the rug? Because it makes white people uncomfortable? I think it makes everyone uncomfortable. But if like both students and professors were educated, not only on this issue, but how to have an open dialogue about race, then maybe things be things would be different. I mean, Every one of us knows what's going on in this country. So you don't know what you don't know. It's time to get educated. Well, let's tell it. I mean, how are we going to tell it? Friend, we certainly can't reenact the Joe Anderson arrest like they used to do, even, even if we don't use blackface. But we still have to tell it. Do we? I mean, it's part of our history. Maybe it'd be like, leading the horse to water moment. So what do we do? Maybe we don't tell it at all. But we lose them in part of who we are, or were, or are? Perhaps. Do we have a responsibility to our history in the same way that we have a responsibility to move forward? 
I don't know. I'm not sure I want to tell the story. I don't know how to tell it without getting angry. All I can see is this poor, tired, dirty, crying man being pulled away from his family while men with bad haircuts stand with their arms crossed. Like, how did they even become the oppressors, you know? How did the white man just take over and trade people of color like some card game? See, I'm angry, and I'm so tired, man. I'm tired of black history stories just making me feel angry. How do you want to feel if we could tell this story the right way? I'd want to feel inspired. I want to light a fire. For me, whenever a white person is involved in telling a black person's story, it seems so centered on oppression. There's a guilt that hovers over it like a cloud. It almost makes it still about them in a way. That's true. Dear white people, why do you stare? If you can love our culture and play with our hair, then black excellence shouldn't scare you. Dear white people, police brutality is real. If you disagree, ask Breonna Taylor. Who did she kill? Dear white people, why are you silent if all lives matter? Your voice and your words would be compliant. Dear white people, accept your white guilt. We all have unlearning to do and a nation to rebuild. So if we're gonna tell it, I'd wanna tell a story not of oppression, but of excellence. I like that. Okay, so if we tell it, and I guess the question becomes, how do we tell it? Exactly. So, what do you think? I think we tell a different story. Dear Joe Anderson, it's strange being a college student at 30. <laughs> it's strange being a college student with five kids. But Mrs. Rich convinced me I need to be here. Sarah, they have this program. I want you to apply. You're so good at my two boys. I just know you'd be so good at this. You would make an amazing teacher. Oh, I don't know. I have five kids, and I work for you. So you'll stop working for me, and you'll figure it out. They'll give you a stipend and buy your books. It's called a career opportunity program. They're looking for black students and low-income white students to graduate through the program and become teachers. Did you get your high school diploma? Well, I got my GED. Well, that's perfect. You should do this, Sarah. You would make such a good teacher. So, in 1971, I filled out the application. But I needed to live in Asheville, so I told a little lie and gave them my brother's address. And here I am. My name is Sarah Hart, and I will be the first African-American to graduate Mars Hill College. I'm in a little program for other black students and low-income whites. We get along well, but sometimes on campus we see a little bit of racial stuff. You can tell they don't want us here sometimes. It's strange, Joe. Growing up, I really didn't know the line of segregation. We were with the white kids all the time, and didn't think anything of it. We did not know the line of segregation. We did not know it. But we automatically knew to go to the back of the bus because, I mean, 
That's the way it was. Wow. I know. That's so... I know. But in the eighth grade, we learned black history. Then I started to see it. I went to Allen High School in the ninth grade, but after crying for an entire summer, Oh, please, please, Daddy. I'll do all my work and I'll work hard at home. You just got to let me go there. Okay, Sarah. My father agreed to let me go to Stevens Lee. Stevens Lee? Black high school during segregation. It was a really important school for the black community in Asheville. It was shut down in 1965 due to integration, and in 1975, it was bulldozed. But in its day, it was really successful. Championships were won, and their music department made headlines across the state. We had the best teachers at Stevens Lee. They took us girls under their wing. They told us not to get in trouble. But in my 12th grade year, I got pregnant. Oh, my daddy was so, so hurt because he was wanting me to really succeed, you know. But he's so proud that I'm here now. I really think that's why he's lived so long. <laughs> he just tells everyone. Sarah, Anne's going to be a teacher. She's going to Marsfield College. Every time I hear her story, I'm amazed that she was in her 30s and had five kids. I'm 19 and I can barely work the microwave in my dorm room. How bad you're wrong, man. It's bad. Uh, okay, we'll see if you're invited back for my cooking from across the world extravaganza again. Fair enough. That is really impressive, though. Not your cooking. The story of Sarah Hart. Also, who messes up ramen? Her story gets even more amazing, actually. In the mid-1960s, my children were the first to integrate. My daughter was the only black girl at North Buncombe High School. She didn't feel comfortable. She was picked on. Then one day, my son came home and said his teacher made a racial remark. This is how the black people do it, the teacher said. So I took him out of school. Just simply took him out. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but the new law says I have to find somewhere else. So along with integration, laws were passed requiring all children to be in school? Yes, to ensure everyone had access to an education. But all the traditional black schools were closed. I don't know if that was every school in America, but it certainly happened here. That must have been really hard for the students and the parents too. Yeah, just a major uncomfortable and really strange transition. Dear Joe, I'm in a strange transition. My husband suddenly died recently. I'm a widow at 31 years old. Here I am with five children. I wanted to quit school, but my church and a lot of other people have begged me not to. <laughs> my father's still waiting to see his baby girl graduate. And Mrs. Rich said, Sarah, you've gone a long way. Don't walk away now. You can do it. So I said, okay, I'm going back. And now I'm still set to be the first black student to graduate from Mars Hill College. She graduated in 1975 and she went on to teach third grade. She was the only person in her family to graduate college and later received her master's degree after the death of her second husband. That is amazing. That is excellent.
Dearest Joe Anderson, hello. I am Glenn Bryan. It is the 1920s, and I am a white male in the midst of a struggle. I cannot call myself a man of faith and continue the ideals so strongly held by my southern white counterparts. It seems since your time here on earth, a lot has changed, but also very little has changed. We must frankly face the fact that a most dangerous interracial situation now threatens our country. No passion so darkens the reason as racial passion, and no hatred is so destructive as racial hatred. Dear Joe Anderson, this is Rodney Johnson. I've been an accomplished professional working at George Washington University for 30 years. Yet, returning Mars Hill still brings up powerful memories and the things that I went through as a child and as an adult. The things I went through to get to where I am now. Our country has in this crisis not only to satisfy its own conscience, but also to justify itself as a nation. I believe that the supreme test of democracy will be found in the attitude of the strong toward the weak. The stronger race must first accept a high and holy responsibility for the future of the weaker race. Loyalty to our lofty ideals of democracy demands that he shall not pause until the Negro in North America shall have justice equal to that of the white and an opportunity for full development of the highest possibilities of his personality. 1965. It was the first year of integration and you dealt with it. It was a time of my life I was spat on and you deal with it in whatever way you knew how to deal with it. I don't like buses because when I got on a bus as a child I had to go to the back. When I went on basketball trips I always sit in the front because of those years growing up you had to go to the back of the bus. To that end, we should acknowledge and accept, frankly, some specific obligations. The Negro shall cling to their faith that deep down in the hearts of the American people, there are chords of justice which will someday vibrate with the full melody of democracy for all men. I, Rodney Johnson, along with Derek Thomas and Jerry Haynes are making a formal request to Mars Hill Band of 1971 to stop playing the Lost Cause Anthem Dixie and also to have students stop waving the Confederate flag at school games. So to the Negro of the South, I say, come up with us as we strive to climb to the mountaintop of goodwill, love, and justice. Come up where the air of brotherhood is pure and wholesome. I, Rodney Johnson, formally request the cessation of the Lost Cause Dixie Anthem at Mars Hill College. Deep down in the hearts of the American people, there are chords of justice, which will someday vibrate with the full melody of democracy for all men. I request, I request, I request, Stop. In 
integration was like, here I am fighting, fighting for the right to do the things that we should have been able to do anyway. That's exactly what it felt like. And that's something that I just can't let go. When Johnson arrived to MHC campus in 1968, he guessed that there were 20 to 25 African-Americans but Dr. David Gilbert and Malik Frost wrote a paper on this issue and stated that between 1962 and 1968, there is no record of any other Blacks enrolled as students. That's very strange. Orlean Graves Simmons, the descendant of Joe Anderson that was the first African-American to attend here, left after only a few years because of how she was treated. My grandmother's words played again and again in my head like a record. You stay in your place. You stay right there in your place. I felt unwanted. I think, what if that was my nephew, my sister, my brother? And when I think of Orlean, I think, who the hell were they to tell her if she didn't belong here? Just those words, stay in your place? Like, who defines my place? And the fact that she was also a female, don't even get me started. For years, I have wondered about human enslavement, the chains that took away our freedom. For years, I have wondered of the chains that represent betrayal and distance from our true families and our connection to our homeland. For years, I have wondered why when I bring a bag in the store, all the attention draws to me and not the white boy who enters a like me with a bag. For years, I have wondered how injustice became justice overnight and that even in this new generation, I am seen as less than an equal. For years, I have wondered why my kind had to fight for civil rights. For years, I have wondered why Black men are seen as target practice and not permitted the justice they deserve. For years, I have wondered where is the justice for the lives of Trayvon Martin, Elijah McClain, George Floyd, and sadly, many more. For years, I have wondered of how a human could not be counted as a human because of the color of their skin. 19 years, I have wondered about what's wrong with my skin. At this time, the story of Joe Anderson was still being reenacted as a drama, and it was touted as an interracial friendship and sacrifice for the Southern Baptist education. I mean, could you imagine seeing that? We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do shall overcome someday. 
We shall live in peace. We shall live in peace someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall live in Every time I visit the plaque of Joe Anderson, I'm taken back to my time at Morris Hill in 1987. There were about 100 black students in total, 15 of which were women. There were no African-American instructors of any sort. There were some people that worked on staff as an assistant and in the cafeteria, a lot of it dealing with the fact that we were in western North Carolina, in a secluded area, where nobody looked like you. There were nobody to talk about the people that looked like you. Not only were we a minority, but a lot of our peers this was the first time they had been to school with people of color. And one day a boy pulled me aside and he was raised by his grandfather and I had never seen a black person before. At that time, a pervasive story in America was that black people had tails. So he stopped to ask me if I had one. I thought, man, this is the 20th century and I'm having to confront this ignorance? Oh my. I know. Who was this guy? Professor Jonathan McCoy. He heads up the African-American studies program here and was a student in 1987. He came from Durham. To him, this was a different and much scarier world. You took your chance as a black student not to walk across the street at night because someone might throw a bottle at you. You had to be aware when school let out that you had to get across the street because when that bus was coming by, they were going to be on the N-word at you. So you had to time it just right to avoid that. So when my wife, Audrey, asked me to consider the opportunity to come back and teach, I had to really think about it. John, this is huge. We should talk about this. You would be the only African-American professor on campus, and I would be the only PhD or female PhD. Not only that, but they are creating a role for you. Your position would be brand new. But are you ready to be the black woman on campus? I feel like even though there are going to be some barriers, we can't pass this up. I'm nervous for you. There are a lot of challenges that our black women face, especially in a professional environment. I worry about how it would be met. You stepping into a role of responsibility, this role of assessment, people see that person as a villain. So to be the black woman in that role is worrisome. This could be a negative move. We know this area is not the optimal place for African Americans to live. Our parents worry too. They know what I've dealt with there. I wouldn't want to have to be on guard at times. I don't know how much that school has changed. I've learned as an African American woman that I have the right to be my full self and my authentic self all of the time. My place is anywhere that I am. That's beautiful. The students of color need someone who looks like us. Someone they can feel safe approaching. We do. They do. But we could end up becoming the voice of the community. Are you ready to take on the challenge of being an advocate? You and I both know that black people aren't monolithic. We don't represent all black people either. 
We both can only do what we can, but maybe we might be able to grant the campus with more exposure to the variety of people of color. I'm not sure everyone's excited about Jonathan McCoy coming back to campus. We know what barriers might lie ahead. We know that Madison County is known as a sundown county. I mean, I know we are going to stand out, but shouldn't we still take it? We don't even know where we can get our hair done or where it's safe to live, but we shouldn't pass this up. To think that I have the opportunity to be in the presidential suite on campus previously occupied by all white males is huge to me. Our Christianity, our faith has led us to believe that people are put in our path for a reason. Maybe we can be that for someone else. Okay then, I'll ask you again. Are you sure you ready to be that person of color on campus? Ready to make a difference? I am. I am. I, I am, am ready, ready to, to make, make history. history. I guess we're going to Mars Hill then. Thine to mold us, alma mater, in the beauty of thy grace. Thou the spirit of thy service to the human race. We salute the alma mater at thine altar may we sing and our efforts through the long years thy tribute bring. Hearing all of these stories makes me feel even more passionate about our history here. Indeed. All these years later, it's astounding I'm even having to say that. Hearing stories from the 60s and 70s, it's like it was yesterday. And now, more than ever, we need to lift up the voices, stories, and experiences of our black brothers and sisters. How do you think that should look? Equality. I mean, we've been saying equality for years, and look where we are. Three young boys just watched their father get shot seven times in the back, protesting his desire for equality. I know. How are these children going to understand equality? I don't know. They'll help us about that kind of stuff. What if you're not? What could you do? What could we do? I don't really know. I think it first begins with an apology as a school, as the South, as a nation, then we vote, I guess. We vote in people that want to change policies, that want to develop programs that increase diversity in areas where it's lacking and push for it. And black children coming up must know that they're safe and that they have a chance. Know it deep in their bones. I like that. Okay, so we vote and we make change. Yeah, we vote, we write, we protest, we consult, we make art, we do whatever it takes to get it out there. Updating our social media just ain't gonna cut it anymore. You feel me? So let's start here on campus. Let's focus on excellence. Thought growing up that we'd come a long way. Thought we had moved forward. Some wounds get healed.
some wounds get infected and some wounds remain. Dear Joe, it's Sarah Hart again. My second husband and Marshall got told by some white people to tell his supervisor to not send him there no more. But recently, my son's just performed at an event out in the Rosenwald schools. I think Mars Hill has come a long way. Taking this job was not easy, Joe. I wasn't sure if I was ready to be the black voice for the African Americans here at Mars Hill. But I thought to myself, Look at the people whose shoulders you stand on. Every time I see Dr. Orlean Simmons, I always say, because you were the first, I was able to be here. I'm standing on your shoulders. The sacrifices you went through paved the way for the sacrifices I went through. But at least I had the chance to make those sacrifices. Dear great-great-grandfather, in 2015, Mars Hill University planted a weeping cherry tree in my honor. A tree. Can you believe it? Now, when someone thinks of the cherry tree, they can think of me. I'm on the shoulders of Rodney Johnson, a man who fought for the removal of Dixie. Now in 2020, we finally banned the Confederate flag. Though they still make appearances. Dear Joe, it seems like not much has changed. I see more Confederate flags on campus today than I did in 1971. I stand on the shoulders of every black student who came to Mars Hill. But still, even today, I see students gather and protest for black rights and social justice. I see students look away when I try to engage. I want to be that hope, that shoulder for them. And hope and change is there, but it's in the distance. Dear Mr. Anderson, there is still so much work to do. Stop! Patience. That's what we're told. So we don't get killed before we get old. Breathe. Smile. Ignore the microaggressions because it has become our duty to teach others lessons. Patience. Smile. Don't get an attitude. A bullet in a statistic might be waiting for you. Stop. Breathe. You are black. This is your America.
to our God. 